It's time for The Outspoken Cyclist, your weekly conversation about bicycles, cyclists, trails, travel, advocacy, the bike industry, and much, much more. You can subscribe to our weekly podcast at OutspokenCyclist.com or through your favorite podcatching app to listen anytime. Now here's your host, Diane Jenks. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks, and this is our New Year's Day show 2022. We're starting the year with a talk about health, what it is, how to get it, and why 60% of people living today will become diabetic if they don't change their evil ways. My guest is Dr. Gabe Merkin. At 87, he's still one of the sharpest, most well-informed physicians on the planet. In this conversation, we cover everything from how blood sugar works to intermittent fasting to the need to just get up and get moving. After the break, I'm going to introduce you to a fresh voice for women's cycling. Amy Jones is a journalist who focuses her work on women's cycling and often from the human interest perspective. In the first half of our conversation, we just talk generally about women's cycling and how it's changing especially on the world tour. In the second half of our conversation, though, we address the elephant in the room, or should I say, the enigma that is Patrick Lefevre. Amy recently penned an article for cyclingtips.com that probably made some jaws drop for the sheer guts it took to write it. Titled, Does Women Cycling Even Want Patrick Lefevre? The article explores Mr. Lefevre's sudden about-face from apparently not giving a damn about women cycling to sponsoring a women's development team. Wait, what? It's an interesting topic. So as we turn over the calendar to 2022, I think we are all hoping for a year of good health, preferably without a pandemic. So what does it take to be healthy and to stay healthy? And what kinds of things lead to illness and perhaps dementia or an untimely death? Dr. Gabe Merkin has served as an assistant professor at the University of Maryland, teaching a course based on his book, The Sports Medicine Book, from 1976 to 1980. He served as a teaching fellow at Johns Hopkins Medical School and an associate clinical professor in pediatrics at the Georgetown University School of Medicine in Washington, D.C. He's had television shows and radio shows. And now, when Gabe isn't out riding his recumbent tandem with his wife, Diana, he's reading and researching science and medicine and offering his research and findings to you in the form of a weekly newsletter. Today, we're going to talk about preventing diseases such as diabetes and dementia and how what we eat and what we do matter. Hello, Dr. Gabe Merck, and welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. Happy New Year. How are you? I'm great, Diane, and great to talk to you again. Yeah, we even get to see each other, which we haven't done. So it's really, really nice to see you, too. Um, I hope you and Diana are well, and I know you're still riding because you're in Florida, and I'm jealous, but that's a different story. Everybody well down there? No, like, rampant COVID? Yeah, Diana had surgery, and her back pain is much, much better the day after surgery. Wow, that is awesome. So uh, New Year... You know, this this is uh, 2022 today when this airs. And so I, I thought it was a good time for us not only to catch up, but to talk about the most important medical um, things that we need to talk about 
for the new year, especially keeping healthy, getting healthy. And I know one of the number one things, and you were very clear that you wanted to talk about it, and that is inflammation. Explain what inflammation is and why it's so important not to have it go rampant in your body. Uh, Inflammation, incidentally, is the hottest research subject in medicine today. I get 10 to 30 new articles every single week on that subject. Your immunity is good for you because when a germ enters your body, your own immunity has chemicals and cells that attack to and kill that germ. Well, that's wonderful. However, as soon as the germ is gone, your immunity is supposed to dampen down. If your immunity stays active all the time, the same cytokine chemicals and cells attack you to cause heart attacks, strokes, cancers, premature death, diabetes, everything. All diseases now appear to be associated with inflammation and immunity that stays active all the time to attack you in exactly the same way that we would have attacked an invading germ. So it's you attacking yourself. That's absolutely correct. And it's really uh, very sad because the same cells and chemicals that help to kill germs also heal broken tissue. So when you pull a muscle, you turn on your immunity exactly the same way that you turn on your immunity when you get an infection. The same chemicals are called out to damage, cell damage. So your immunity is turned on by chronic infections. It's turned on by uh, lifestyle factors like anything that can damage your cells. For example, if you smoke, you damage your cells, so you turn on your immunity. If you drink too much alcohol, you turn on your immunity. If you don't exercise, you turn on your immunity negatively. And that's very interesting. Exercise is a major preventative factor in inflammation. So in addition to exercise, which of course we know is very important, there's an anti-inflammatory diet, right? Yes, and that's absolutely fascinating. Let me go over that. Uh, Meat and mammal meat specifically and processed meat turn on your immunity to cause inflammation. That's established, even though you have a lot of defense of mammal meat from the people who stand to profit from selling it. But when you eat mammal meat and processed meat, you turn on your immunity. And the reason is that all mammals contain a chemical same chemical on their on their cell surfaces that humans don't. Humans are different from all other mammals. So when your immunity, when you eat a mammal meat, you're getting a chemical called NEU5GC that you don't have. Well, that looks like a foreign protein is trying to invade you. So you treat animal meat as an invading germ and you turn on your immunity to cause inflammation. And there are other things, a high rise in blood sugar. Remember I said damage causes inflammation. Well, a high rise in blood sugar causes sugar to stick to cells and damage every cell in your body. So when you have a sugar added food, you get a high rise in blood sugar that causes cell damage that increases your own immunity activity to heal the damage 
which gives you inflammation and long-term, which can cause cancer and heart attacks. And the same thing as drinking alcohol, cell damage, smoking too much, and being obese. Obesity is a major risk factor for inflammation. When your cells are full of fat, your liver is often full of fat and a, a liver full of fat uh, causes a high rise in blood sugar that causes cell damage. So obesity is a major risk factor for heart attacks, strokes, cancers, and premature death because it's associated with a high rise in blood sugar, which is associated with turning on your immunity, which is associated with these cancers and heart attacks. and disease. Vicious cycle. <laughs> Vicious. So let me ask a question about arthritis, because a lot of people have uh, some sort of stiffness and, and arthritic sort of symptoms. Is, inflam is an inflammatory diet or an anti-inflammatory diet better for arthritis too? Yes. I wrote a review article that for, for scientific journals, and I got, uh, I think, 80 uh, journal references on uh, arthritis and inflammation. In fact, you measure, when you go to your doctor and say, oh, my muscles hurt or my joints hurt, you know what your doctor does? He draws blood tests that measure the chemicals of inflammation. And if they're high, he says, aha, you have inflammation which is causing your joint and muscle pain. Let's talk about an anti-inflammatory diet. We know meats and processed meats are no. What about fruit? Because that's high in sugar. Ah, but remember something. Plants are invaded by insects and they can't run away and they can't fight off insects. So plants have to defend themselves and they defend themselves by producing antioxidants. They, have, they produce huge amounts of oxidants. So when you eat fruit, vegetables, whole grains, beans, seeds, and nuts, you're getting huge amounts of antioxidants that plants use to help protect themselves. And when you eat them, you get these antioxidants that help to protect you. So yes, you help to treat arthritis by eating huge amounts of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, seeds, and nuts. And you help to increase your chances of getting a heart attack and certain types of cancers by, eat, by avoiding plants. That's why you're reading so much in the scientific literature about a plant based diet. What about fish? Fish contains uh, polyunsaturated fats called omega-3s that are anti-inflammatory. So you do get a benefit. Now I have to tell you that chicken and turkey are, are, are highly controversial. We huh. don't know whether they're harmful or not, but on the basis of the literature, if I tell you not to eat chicken, I have to start every sentence with my opinion because that would be my opinion, because the literature is so controversial that no honest person can say that chicken and turkey are harmful. They can say that mammal meat is harmful with scientific data that's very strong. They can say that processed meat like bacon and hamburger are harmful, but they can't say that chicken, now chicken may be harmful, but I can't tell you the chicken's harmful on the basis of the scientific literature. Let me take a moment to reintroduce you. We're speaking with Dr. Gabe Merkin. If you do not know him, you're going to know him after our conversation. And if you do not receive his email, Gabe's e-zine, we will tell you how to get it. I, I read it every time it comes in. 
My husband always sends me art. I'm like, I just saw this, Brian, but he reads it. And then he has, did you see what Gabe said? So it's always what Gabe says. Let's talk a little bit about intermittent fasting. So it's a big topic. I've done some long fasts. I've done some short fast, but intermittent fasting is sort of an ongoing uh, idea. It's very well supported in the scientific literature. Intermittent fasting works. And let me go over the mechanism because when you understand why, it's easier to do. Okay, here we go. Everybody's blood sugar rises after they eat. Everybody, your blood sugar rises. If it rises too high, sugar sticks to the outer membrane of every cell in your body. So a high rise in blood sugar like diabetes is associated with dementia, your brain is damaged, nerve damage, heart attacks, strokes, it damages the DNA to cause cancers. A high rise in blood sugar can damage everything, okay? Now, the way you keep your blood sugar from rising too high after you eat, because it's gonna rise after you eat, to keep it from rising too high is your pancreas releases insulin. And then insulin is supposed to lower blood sugar by driving sugar from the bloodstream into the liver. So the mechanism of preventing you from being diabetic and getting high rise blood sugar is a liver that accepts the sugar from when insulin drives in. In fact, diabetes is, most diabetes is caused by insulin resistance. And that means that you have a liver that's not working. It means you have a fatty liver. If you have too much fat in your liver, your pancreas releases insulin, the insulin tries to drive sugar into your liver to lower the blood sugar, but it doesn't. The liver doesn't accept the sugar. So a fatty liver is the cause of 60% of all Americans today, if they live long enough, will get diabetes. 60% will become diabetic because their livers are full of fat. And here's an incredible thing. You can go to your doctor and get no radiation, get a simple test called a sonogram or sound waves, where they hold the sound wave receiver over your liver and they take a picture of your liver. And if they see white dots, that's fat. So they can diagnose diabetes by just doing a sound wave test that shows you have too much fat in your liver. A fat in your liver, excess fat in your liver is the prime cause of diabetes in the free world today. Now that's type two. That's type two, right. Okay, so let's go back to intermittent fasting. Ha ha ha. Now, the only when you get your sugar rises, there's only two places in your body you can store sugar, significant amounts of sugar. You can store sugar only in your liver and only in your muscles. You can't store much of it anywhere else. All right. So intermittent fasting means that when you don't eat for more than six hours, more than eight hours, you start to release fat from your liver to supply your energy needs. Ha ha. So intermittent fasting is taking fat out of your liver and it works. There has to be a word of caution though. If you fast for more than 12 hours and then regain the weight, you store most of that early fat into your liver. So intermittent fasting for 12 hours is magnificent. There's nobody that's concerned about that as except 
a say person on insulin where they have to protect their blood sugar, a person with abnormally low blood sugars. But for every person who doesn't suffer from low blood sugar, intermittent fasting for 12 hours, up to 12 hours is definitely beneficial. And it may be beneficial for, it's been shown to be beneficial for two or three or four days also. The danger is that if you regain that weight after you've been long intermittent fasting of greater than 12 hours, you may gain almost all of that new fat into your liver, which is harmful. And in fact, I'll tell you something else. This is incredible. Do you know, you don't die prematurely from buttock fat. You die prematurely from organ fat. And organ fat is the fat in your liver and so forth. So it's not so dangerous to have fat on, underneath your skin. The problem is that when you store extra fat underneath your skin and in your buttocks, you're usually going to store extra fat in your liver, which is incredibly dangerous. And, and I can diagnose diabetes by just walking in town squares and looking at people. Do you know that having a big belly is a major risk factor for heart attacks, strokes, and premature death? Do you know that having small buttocks is an independent risk factor for premature death? and cancers, having small, genetically small buttocks. So when you look out there and you see people with big buttocks and a big belly, they may not be in trouble. They're probably in trouble, but they may not be. On the other hand, when you see somebody with a big belly and small buttocks, they're almost all high blood sugar people who are at extremely high risk. They're probably already diabetic and they're high risk for premature death. So let me ask about breaking fasts. Uh, so intermittent fasting, you don't eat for 12 hours. Are you drinking something like water? Oh, or, yeah. you can drink and you can't drink sugar. And this is the most important thing everybody should realize. If you're drinking a drink with sugar, it's going to cause a high rye blood sugar. And let me give you an example, a scientific example that's been in many, many studies. Take exactly the same amount of sugar in an orange and exactly the same amount of sugar in orange juice. All right. When you drink the orange juice, your blood sugar is going to skyrocket. When you eat the orange, your blood sugar is going to rise very little. In fact, if you compare the orange and the orange juice, the blood sugar after drinking orange juice is more than double the rise in blood sugar after eating the orange because the orange is going to stay in your stomach for up to four or five hours after you eat it. Remember, no solid food is allowed to pass from your stomach and your intestines or you would be obstructed and die. You wouldn't get through one year of life. So when you eat solid food, your pyloric sphincter closes and food stays in your stomach and then your stomach can squeeze, uh, squeezes and, and squeezes through a liquid soup that goes into your intestines. It's not solid when it gets into your intestines. So it takes a very long time for the orange to get through. The orange juice is, is too fast. And there is no difference between rise in blood sugar, between orange juice and Coca-Cola. They are the same. Wow. Who knew? Well, you, you can't believe, that's correct. That's why there are so many recent studies on the very subject saying you're not supposed to put sugar in your coffee. Coffee looks healthy, by the way, up to three, four drinks a day. Tea looks healthy up to three, four drinks a day. As soon as you add sugar to coffee tree, you have a totally different drink that's incredibly dangerous to your health and your lifespan. Huh. 
Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Gabe some more because this is way too much fun and way too interesting. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. Bicycle crash is not an accident. And when you find yourself in a situation that calls for experienced, effective, and positive legal support and advocacy, you can depend on any of North America's independent bike law members. Bike Law's cycling attorneys are members of our community committed to the pursuit of cycling safety and justice. For more information about Bike Law, log on to bikelaw.com. They're on your left, protecting your rights. You're listening to the station that is your home for college radio in Cleveland. 88.7 FM, WJCU, University Heights. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. My guest is Dr. Gabe Merkin, and I'll tell you what, I, d- I don't know how old you are now, Gabe. It doesn't really matter. All I know is you know more at your age than people who live to be like 350, like Methuselah. You just, it's amazing how you keep up with everything. It, it's just, you've got to get his easing if you don't get it, his, his newsletter. It's always filled with wonderful advice and also great studies so that everything is backed up by science. Oh, wait, science. There is that part of the world that doesn't believe in science. I happen to believe in it. So let's talk a little bit about exercise because we're cutting into that time of year, not for you, you're in Florida, but for people like me who can't do the things I was doing, swimming and running and, and uh, I can still run, I guess, but not cycling the way I was because we don't cycle in the ice and snow. Let's talk about how important exercise is regardless of how old you are. Well, there's no debate in the scientific community. Exercise prevents cancer, helps prevent diabetes, helps prevent heart attacks, helps to prolong your life. If you don't exercise, you're in trouble. And if you want to commit suicide, you know the easiest way to commit suicide? Lie in bed and don't move. After two or three years, you'll die of heart failure. And this is incredible. Your skeletal muscles strengthen your heart muscle. This is, see, that's called Starling's Law that every medical student learns. Your skeletal, when when your skeletal muscles contract, They squeeze the veins near them to pump blood to your heart. The extra blood goes to your heart. Your heart muscle is is stretched. It contracts with more force. So it's your skeletal muscles that strengthen your heart muscle. If you lie in bed and don't exercise, your skeletal muscles disappear. And along with that, your heart muscle disappears. And after a couple of years of lying in bed without moving, you're in heart failure caused by your lack of exercise. So not exercising causes heart failure, and you can die of heart failure without the conventional blocked arteries associated with heart attacks. What about intensity of exercise? That's even more important because the more intensely you exercise, I'll give you a qualification in a second, the more intensely you exercise, the stronger your heart becomes. And the stronger your heart becomes, the obviously, the more resistance it is to heart failure. Heart failure is a muscle, heart muscle so weak that it can't push enough force to supply enough oxygen in your brain. So you die because your brain suffers from lack of oxygen. 
That's what heart failure is. And it's caused by lack of movement. If you're sitting all day and you don't exercise, you're shortening your life. Now you can sit all day if you want. You can call that recovery from exercise, but sitting without recovering from exercise for long-term is unhealthy because your skeletal muscles are disappearing, your heart muscle is disappearing, and you're headed for heart failure if you don't move at all. The last thing I want to talk about is memory and brain health. You know, uh, we see these ads constantly for a product called Prevagen. And, you know, I kind of blow them off. But on the other hand, what keeps our memory, what are the things we need to do to keep our memory sharp, to keep our brains healthy? All right. First of all, I want to talk about Prevagen and I will we'll go over the literature. Uh, the problem is the scientific literature does not show that pre pre Prevagen or any other of these aquaporins help to prevent dementia. They don't show that at all. There are a few studies, and I won't criticize their studies because I don't like to get into legal problems. But I will tell you that there's a major problem with the Congress in the United States. In 1994, Congress passed a law forbidding the Food and Drug Administration to limit food. The Food and Drug Administration cannot regulate food. And all of these products are sold as food. Uh, Prevagen aquaporin was originally found in shellfish or, or uh, other marine animals. And so they're exempt. So there is nobody out there to protect you from the incredible fraud of, of health products of, made from food because, because the Food and Drug Administration cannot protect you. So realize that. And the best way to prevent dementia is to follow an anti-inflammatory life story. Because I said, inflammation is associated with a high rise in blood sugar. The high rise in blood sugar means that the sugar is sticking to the cells of your brain. Your brain cells are disappearing. And we have that data. We have the data that a high rise in blood sugar causes sugar to stick to the part of your brain that controls memory. So in America today, 35% of all people over 85 are demented. 35% have serious, 35% I said, because of inflammation. So when you're getting older, you better follow the rules of inflammation about exercise and avoiding foods to cause a high rise in blood sugar and not smoking and not drinking and not doing things to injure, injure your cells and so forth. But the message for prevention of dementia is exactly the same as the message for the rules to prevent heart attack. If you follow everything that's ever been shown about preventing heart attacks, you are also following all the rules that have been shown to prevent dementia. So with the rolling over of the calendar, what are you and Diana going to do this year? Are you doing anything differently from what you've done in the past? No, I must tell you that I'm uh, almost 87 years old. You look great. Well, my 87 years means that I have lost some of my capacity, mental capacity. I know that because I used to do math problems in my head and I can't remember a telephone number now, to be perfectly honest with you, because of my aging. Now, I know that you're supposed to use a muscle to prevent the muscle from disappearing. And I also know that you're supposed to use your brain 
to help prevent your brain from deteriorating. So I do spend two, three hours, seven days a week reviewing the scientific literature. I read uh, probably well, thousands of studies every month in the scientific literature. And I do that to protect myself. What a great way to start the year, Gabe. We've been speaking with Dr. Gabe Merkin, and if you want to stay healthy, you follow what he has to say as we come into a new cycling season, running season, whatever it is you do, keep doing it. Gabe, it is so good to see you and talk with you, and I wish you a happy, healthy, and peaceful new year. Thank you. And the same to you, and we hope that you'll get warmer weather up there so that you too can cycle all winter long. Yeah, well, that that's the climate change. I, maybe that's another topic for another day. That is a fascinating topic because it's real. There is enough data now to say conclusively that people who deny climate change aren't knowledgeable of the scientific literature. And they're probably the same people who say the COVID vaccine won't work for you. And those people are killing people. I know. Uh, The anti-vaxxers are increasing the number of people who die. They are killing people with their lack of knowledge into the effects of vaccine and severity of disease. There is no debate in the scientific community that that getting at least three vaccinations will help to protect you from being hospitalized, from being intubated, from being in the intensive care unit, and from dying from COVID-19. There you go. You heard it from Dr. Gabe. You guys have a wonderful new year. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thanks. Dr. Gabe Merkin joined me from his home in Florida. I'm always super impressed with his enthusiasm and the fervor with which he continues to pursue the truth around science, medicine, and well-being. If you'd like to learn more about him and subscribe to his weekly e-zine email, you can log on to drmerkin.com. That's D-R-M-I-R-K-I-N.com. Let's take a break, and when we return, we'll have a chat with journalist Amy Jones. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Jenks. Women's racing finally seems to be coming into its own, and journalist Amy Jones does a great job reporting on women riders in her pieces for CyclingTips.com, among other places. Amy also pulls no punches in her article about Patrick Lefevre, nor should she. Lefevre's attitudes towards some riders, men and women, and towards women cycling in general, make him a strange candidate to back a women's team. One wonders why. So I asked her. Her answer is well-balanced and very thoughtful. Hello, Amy. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for being my guest. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, hope 2022 is a little uh, less hectic and crazy uh, than 2021. 
And I think we're starting off with some really good news for women cycling in 2022. It's about time. I wanted to uh, learn what you've been reporting on and some of your thinking. You have some interesting things to say, like a most recent article about our friend, Mr. Lefevre. I do want to talk about that, but tell me a little bit about you and your journalism background. Yeah, I mean, my journalism background is a pretty, it's a pretty short story. I kind of only started doing it in the middle of last year during lockdown. Um, so I guess for the last 18 months. Um, before that, I tried to sort of, I tried to do the whole racing thing, um, did a few odd jobs in copywriting, like marketing, that sort of thing. But writing's always been something I've been interested in. in. I did an English literature degree, and um, but I never really saw journalism as something that I could do because particularly in the UK, it seems quite like a, a closed off profession if you're not from a certain background maybe or it's hard to get into so I never like studied it formally and I just kind of yeah during lockdown didn't have much work elsewhere and thought I'd just give it a crack and thankfully some editors gave me a chance and here I am. Here you are is right you have a lot of stories in the past 18 months you know if if you go look on and we will let people know where to find those toward the end of our conversation but you know the one that got me was this one about Patrick Lefevre and I I said we will get to that so you did uh you did actually race bikes for a little while it's hard it is just not an easy sport on any level no no it's not it's a, it's especially hard if you're not talented in the slightest as I am (laughs) (laughs) but I mean I just started it for fun and then a lot of like I was about 20 and as often happens some people were like oh you're quite good you should give this a crack and I did and then realized that in the grand scheme of things I wasn't that good at all and I was definitely too scared of of crashing because I started like later so I didn't have that background in skills and all of that. And yeah, I found it hard to switch my brain off, which I guess is why I'm better suited to writing than I am to writing. Well, I I totally get it. Crashing and I do not get along either. I don't think anybody likes to crash, but some people seem to do it better than others and get up and keep on going. How did you become interested in women's bike racing in particular in terms of the writing you do? Yeah, I mean... Because I'd done it and that was kind of what I knew. Um, Obviously, when I was racing, it was the women that I was looking up to. It was the women's races that I was following. To be perfectly honest, I didn't and still don't really follow that much men's racing. (laughs) Just because following all of the women's is enough of a a job as it is trying to keep across like absolutely everything and there's like a million men's races so but yeah obviously yeah it's one of those like they they were the ones that I related to so that's who I was following that's what I was uh watching and then part of the reason that I started covering women's racing was because there was a lack of coverage and I wanted to be part of rectifying that I sort of saw a bit uh, is an injustice to the women's peloton because they were you know racing just as hard and putting on amazing shows when you could watch it and I was getting quite frustrated about the fact that there wasn't very much coverage at all yeah I guess it wasn't really a conscious decision um but in hindsight it's the women's peloton are far more forthcoming 
or they often are um and a lot of them have some really interesting stories because for a lot of them cycling isn't always their primary source of income or it's not the only thing they a lot of them come into the sport later so they've got really interesting backstories and one of my favorite things to do is write human interest stories really like profiles and so that that fits that style of work I guess so let me take a moment to reintroduce you we're speaking with Amy Jones she's in the UK right now but lives in Hirona usually really sucks to be her right uh, <laughs> and she's a freelance journalist does a lot of work with cycling tips if you do not know that site cyclingtips.com a lot of really good um reporting on on it so are there specifically women who just kind of blow you away are there some that are more interesting that you've really focused on i mean everybody thinks about marianne voss she's amazing there are a lot of talented young women right now are there any who just stand out to you at this point yeah I mean there's there's almost like too many to choose from at the minute (laughs) um because as much as you know there's obviously you know the Anamiques and yeah Mariana's and um you know even I would put Demi Voller in as an obvious choice there even though she's still relatively new to the world tour but in terms of like upcoming right up and coming riders there's so many I mean the current world champion Elisa Balsamo she's really exciting Grace Brown um I'm super excited to see how she goes on FDJ next year Marlon Rosa is incredible there's just so many and in fact actually a new one I would add to the list is I've just been watching the Zwift Academy finals and Maud who won those I'm really excited to see how she goes because she looks like a consummate racer and she blew them all away. Um, So I hope she thrives actually in the world tour. I'm really intrigued to see how she goes. Yeah, there's almost too many, a lot of young, exciting riders coming through teams like Valcar, Next G. There's a young rider I actually interviewed last week, uh, Vittorio Guazzini, who just signed for FDJ as well. Marta Cavalli. I can stop listing names, can I now? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Anytime, anytime. Because the next thing I really want to talk about is the quality of women's racing. So there are a lot of people who think that, and probably they're not wrong, that women's racing is just as, if not more, exciting than men's racing. Women are willing to actually race their bicycles balls out, you know, and which, which to me, you know, I think it's, it's pretty exciting to watch these, especially these young women. They're just so good. Do you think that in terms of spectatorship and interest and media and teams, women are on, finally, women's teams are on the cusp of becoming as popular as men's racing? It's a hard one. It is really hard. And I have this conversation quite a lot in terms of, my personal view and that of quite a few people I work alongside with alongside is that women cycling shouldn't necessarily just follow the formula of men's I think men's cycling can be used as like the default when we talk about cycling generally people are talking about men's cycling and I think women's cycling is at a point where it can it's still growing and it can become its own sport and in many ways it already is if you see the way that women's races play out it's actually 
doesn't it doesn't follow the typical formula that that men's do where it's like you know the break goes everyone chills out has a wee has the bar has a chat and then like you know 100 k's later they reel them back in it's constant attacks it's constant excitement it's unpredictable it's hard to kind of balance the increasing professionalism wherein teams have more riders stronger riders there's more depth and more of like roles within teams where you've got people who are just exclusively employed as domestiques and I think it's hard to find the balance between that and then maybe it merging it becoming like the men's where it's like okay your role is this and because I think at the moment a lot of the organized chaos that that comes out of women's racing is just is a case of like the fact that it isn't so structured so it's a, it's a difficult balance to strike but I really hope that you know we're not seeing I don't think we will um but I really don't I don't want women's cycling's future to be 200 kilometer days where everyone just sits back all day and five poor people are out in front all day and then get reeled in for a sprint I think that is not that's not good for either side really so do you think that the structure of team racing which is pretty much what you just described for the men is a little different for women that women are more individual within their team and within their event and within that race well up until fairly recently that was definitely the case i was having this conversation recently actually where the the world tour which was brought in in 2020 with requirements such as a minimum salary has actually allowed riders to be able to ride as a team because before that it was very much like you need to get your own individual results to take to a team to earn proper money um like if you weren't one of the bigger riders maybe you weren't earning as much um because you didn't have that profile whereas now on the with the world tour you don't need to be a star rider to earn a living because every single rider on the women on a women's world tour team is paid a minimum salary um that's enough to live on and so that means that riders can be comfortable working as domestiques knowing that they're still going to be like properly remunerated for it and still it's not going to affect their chance of of getting a contract so i think that's a good thing um for sure it's a good thing it means that the the sport's more professionalized but i guess what i'm saying is that more professionalized shouldn't necessarily mean that we see races become like i hope that it doesn't mean we see races become more formulaic good answer i like that <laughs> we're going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to talk about this article uh it's a really interesting one does women cycling even want patrick lefebvre <laughs> question mark you're listening to the outspoken cyclist
We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. If you're just joining me, I'm speaking with Amy Jones. She's a journalist, a freelancer, but she's working a lot with Cycling Tips. It's cyclingtips.com. And we're going to talk about this article she wrote that that's how I found her. Does women cycling even want Patrick Lefevre? Did you ask that question of people? So, <laughs> Or did you ask that question of yourself? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, in the end, my intention was, to ask that question it's very difficult though to get people to within the sport within teams to kind of speak out about that sort of thing I managed to get one rider Brody Chapman from FDJ uh to to give me her point of view um basically she was sat next to me in the cafe and I was like hey Brody (laughs) what do you think about this can you send me a voice note um and she's really good she's got a lot of ideas about and opinions on on women's cycling and um she's really engaged with all that so but I was actually quite surprised with her response she gave quite a pragmatic response I thought which was like my gut reaction I have to say when I first heard the news was of course like it was it was like a scoff kind of just oh my god why especially because of the context which was for anyone who doesn't know, the fact that essentially one of the main sponsors of his team left to go to another team. And as one of the reasons they gave, not the reason, but one of the reasons was that they asked him about a women's program and he wasn't interested at all. So they went to, yeah, <laughs> they went to Alpha and Phoenix who have a women's program. So it was a very, it, the timing of it because about a week later was when we heard about his now newfound interest in in back in a women's team just seemed a bit like a knee-jerk kind of reaction and or a yeah. big hypocritical comment you know it's sort of like well no I don't <laughs> want anything to do with women sucking oh by the way I'm going to back a women's team really? really yeah tell people tell people who Patrick yes, Lefevre yes. is in case they don't know yeah, I was going to say, you know, the background of this is that he has a column in a Belgian newspaper in which he's come out with some pretty questionable opinions on women's cycling and also in general about gender. So one of the examples I gave in the article was his rider, um, Sam Bennett. He compared him to a woman who returns to their partner after experiencing domestic abuse. Um, because he was going to go back to a team that he left previously. So that's one thing he said, which is just not okay in any way. Uh, and he also said, he was asked about back in a women's team earlier this year, and his response was along the lines of, I'm not a charity. And in response to that, Lizzie Dagnan actually gave a great answer, which was basically like, I'm glad he doesn't want to be involved in women's cycling. We don't want him either. So that was the other side of the coin to what Brody said to me. So, yeah, I kind of, yeah, my initial reaction was just to be like, no, why stay away? Kind of. It actually took me a while to write this because I didn't want to just come out with the kind of keyboard bashing response where I just kind of tore into him and it wasn't at all kind of thought through or balanced, which is if I'd written it on the day, probably would have been the case. So, yeah, after speaking to Brody, I actually did pause for thought a little bit because her response was essentially, it's not ideal. He's not a great 
figure for women's cycling to have but if his sponsor coming out with this and, and changing teams has given him a bit of a kick up the backside and made him think about doing it and he's been not forced into it because that's also not good but like more backing more money more interest in in developing women's cycling isn't necessarily a bad thing and there's pros and cons to that too because it's kind of a question of do you just accept what you can get or can you afford to be a little bit critical of people like him and and say actually we don't really need him or want him but I think as as I also said in my piece it's fine for somebody like Lizzie Dignan to say that when she's in the position she is she's one of the top riders in the sport but for the lower level it's still an attitude in women's cycling of having to be grateful for any little crumb that's thrown as well which is a hangover from um a time when that was the prevalent kind of attitude and, and there wasn't much to go around that wasn't so long ago no and in fact one of the things i i see now is suddenly there seems to be more support for women cycling and there are more races for women finally that are competitive in terms of the quality to men's races so you begin to wonder can you start being picky about sponsorship or not but sponsorship is always fraught with issues you know we're always seeing sponsors drop and sponsors come back and riders moving to, from team to team it's a strange sport i mean it's you know we follow a lot of professional sports here in the states baseball basketball football i mean not follow them like we love them but i mean that's the kind of thing trading and you know team and and how much money you can use to buy and sell players so it's a hard place to be as a professional cyclist in the world yeah it is yeah and that's why I think it's hard to kind of strike a balance between sort of saying no we don't need this guy based on his track record we don't want him like we we're fine without it and kind of thinking well actually if he's going to put his backing into he's actually it's a development a Dutch development team um that is actually the kind of thing that women's cycling is lacking at the minute is a, a um a development pathway a structured development pathway and yeah so while there's a lot of focus on on the women's world tour and the higher the highest wrong the second tier gets neglected and that's actually the best place for for investment to go now I think is into a development team so it's hard to sort of say no get lost we don't want you when it's at it is actually still needed and I think there's also something to be said for allowing allowing someone to be able to change their mind or change their views and what's the point of everything that certainly like I do and everybody who advocates for women's cycling women's sport what's the point in that if when someone turns around and does change their attitude we go no we don't what are you doing go away so it's a good point yeah that's a good point 
So the last thing I want to talk about is 2022. What are you most looking forward to in terms of the events, the riders, and don't we have an, no, we're done with Olympics. Thank goodness. Um, (laughs) And, and, and maybe, you know, coming up to the spring classics, which gosh, they're like right around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like there's another Olympics just because the Olympics has been looming for like two years. Ever. (laughs) Every other minute. Okay. Well, we'll forget the Olympics, but how about 2022 in terms of just the calendar and and what's going to happen? Who's going to be standing on the podium this year? Yeah. I mean, the obvious answer to, to the most exciting part of 2022 has got to be the Tour de France fam. Um, It's, I think I've said before, I don't know if I wrote this or I said it on the podcast, I'd go through so many things, I can't remember, but I think its ability to change things drastically has been slightly overstated at this point. Um, I think it's not this like saviour that people have been touting it as, but it is a massive game changer. It's a household kind of name of a race that you know, it's the race that defines the sport, whether we like it or not. And it's going to make a huge difference. And actually, the course is a lot better than I thought it was going to be, which is exciting. There's some big climbs, there's there's courses for every kind of rider. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I'm also just looking forward to hopefully the calendar being in a normal order and a normal length and not having to deal with all of that. Because the season feels like it lasts about 100 years at the moment when it goes for into like basically November and cancelled races and stuff. So, yeah, looking forward to that too. And yeah, the classics, um, obviously, women's the second women's Pyro Bay around the corner already, which if it's anything like the last one is going to be amazing. So looking forward to that. Um, I always love Ardennes Week. Really excited for that this year too and also to see a lot more stage racing next year not just the Tour de France there's the Battle of the North the women's tour back in its usual slot and hopefully this time with live coverage the usual other stage races like Norway and then the Saratizic Challenge is now going to be five days they recently said because it's always good to see stage racing where it's a different kind of rider comes to the fore and you know, follow the kind of narrative of the race. And I think there's been a lack of that for, for the women in the last, last few seasons. Yeah. In terms of riders, I sort of mentioned this earlier, actually, um, but I'm looking forward to seeing Grace Brown on FTJ. I think she's gonna, I think she'll compliment Cecilia Ludwig really well and I'm looking forward to seeing her being able to ride for herself a lot more hopefully Lotta Kopecky is another one she'll go well in the classics hopefully like she looks like I mean she's still due like a really big win um so looking forward to seeing how she goes and obviously yeah the usual I'm just I'm also kind of intrigued to see what the gap that Anna van der Breggen leaves will do to the races because I think if this was a few years ago we would probably have just seen um the Anna Meek van Vluten show over and over um but now that there's so much more depth 
um I don't think it will be be the like such a one woman show like they were in a sort of it was the two of them in most races but I think now there's so many more riders that can challenge her and I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out obviously SD Works have then got Demi Vollering waiting right in the wings to take her place but you can't really replace Anna van der Bruggen um yeah so and actually speaking of that team Marlon Rosa on that team I'm really excited to see how she goes she's incredible she's got some amazing results this season so if she continues on that trajectory she'll she's a great addition to that team yeah I'm just I'm I'm excited for the season to start but I'm also glad that it's not starting just yet because it feels like the last one only just finished (laughs) because it because it only just finished (laughs) that would be it we've been speaking with Amy Jones she is a freelance journalist writing on women's bike racing but she's doing a lot of work with Cycling Tips. At cyclingtips.com, we will put a link to the Lefevre article on our website. And I hope you follow um, Amy's writing. It's interesting because you have, a, you have a perspective that is fresh. And I appreciate that. Uh, it, it's, taking, it's taking women cycling in a direction that I think people are going to be interested in reading. And I appreciate the work you're doing. So I hope you have a happy holiday. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. I hope we get to talk again, maybe when the right, the season starts. How's that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd okay. love to. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Amy Jones is a freelance journalist who resides in Girona, Spain. But of course she does. I've posted a link to her recent article about Patrick Lefevre on our blog, OutspokenCyclist.com, and you can check out many of her other pieces she's written on CyclingTips.com. My thanks to Amy and to Dr. Gabe Merkin for joining me this week. And of course, my thanks to you for listening. I hope you had a fabulous holiday season. Remember that you can always find each episode of the show on our blog, OutspokenCyclist.com, along with a synopsis, photos, and links. Download episodes of our podcast at any of your favorite podcast apps. I'll be back next week with a brand new show. And in the meantime, please stay safe, stay well, and remember, there's always time for a ride. Bye-bye. Joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We welcome your thoughts and contributions on our Facebook page, or visit OutspokenCyclist.com to leave a comment on any episode. We will be back next week with new guests, topics, conversations, and news from the world of cycling. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.